It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Who is ready for the winter meetings 2024? We've made it, everybody. Welcome to Rico Bronia. Welcome to the winter meetings where we'll probably get some action, but maybe not the action you want as Met fans. Because think about what we've witnessed over the last five days or so. We've witnessed David Stearns and the Mets being very, very active. They've added a lot of guys to their roster. The problem is they're fringe guys. And I know that can be frustrating. That can be very, very frustrating when you know this team needs a bat or two. This team needs multiple reliable relievers. And obviously, despite the signing of Luis Severino, which I like, they still need to add starting pitching. So it can be frustrating when you get a Mets update and you see that Andre Scrub is now a member of the Mets. And you're like, come on, who the hell is that? Does that matter? It may matter. Middle of May when Scrub's throwing a nasty slider and uh, getting out of a seventh inning jam. But I understand the frustration. I understand the waiting and the I need to know about Yamamoto and what the hell's going to happen with the rest of the rotation. Hopefully with the winter meetings upon us, we'll get some more action. There's a lot to discuss on the Rico. We'll go through all the names that they added over the last couple of days, the latest on Yamamoto, what to expect from the winter meetings, and some thoughts on Jim Leland getting elected to the Hall of Fame, and not just thoughts on Jim Leland getting elected to the Hall of Fame. A few years ago, Joe and I had him on our show, and point blank, I needed an answer from Jim Leland I had waited a decade for. And that was, how come you didn't manage the New York Mets? Because remember, when they hired Willie Randolph before the 2005 season, one of the guys that was linked to the Mets was Jim Leland. Why didn't it happen? Because obviously in 2006, the Mets had some success, but not the ultimate success. The Tigers, on the other hand, managed by Jim Leland, got to a World Series. And obviously, he's had a hell of a career. So we'll not only talk about Jim getting elected, but we have the answer from Jim Leland from a few years ago on why he didn't become the manager of the New York Mets. Let's start with the headlines. First of all, Yoshinabu Yamamoto. I think it is best for all of our mental health to ignore the noise now and just ignore the rumors. Because over the last three days, you've seen a report that says the Mets are the favorites. You have seen a report that says the Yankees are the favorites. I recently read a report that said the San Francisco Giants are the favorites. I even read a report that said the L.A. Dodgers are the favorites. I don't know if there is a favorite for this guy. I think he's going to come to America. What we've read is he's going to come to America next week. He's going to meet with a bunch of teams. Everybody's going to give him some kind of monster offer, and he's going to decide. And I think what we all need to do is just ignore every little rumor about this man. He's going to sign. I hope it's with our team. We have no bleeping idea. So I think it is best for all of our mental health to almost put a mute on Yoshinabu Yamamoto rumors. Until you get the news that he's signing with the Mets or the Giants or the Yankees or the Dodgers, it's just a bunch of noise. Now, I have confidence the Mets are going to make him a monster, monster offer. And I even have some confidence that the Mets are going to make him the highest offer. But is that ultimately going to be enough? We have no idea. And that's been kind of the thing for the last few weeks and months leading into this offseason. Now, I have thought long and hard about, okay, what is my ultimate game plan if they don't get him? If every concerted effort is made to sign him, where do we want to go? And I lean more and more towards Jordan Montgomery. Jordan Montgomery slash Eduardo Rodriguez, that those two moves as free agent signings would probably be 
kind of the best recovery? Because I think what you'd be looking at, if you added those two guys along with Severino and Quintana and Senga, is a really solid rotation. A lot of twos and threes. You don't have an ace. I acknowledge that. Unless you think Kodai Senga takes another step in his second season and Jordan Montgomery takes another step because he has shown so much progress over the last few years, really ever since the Yankees traded him and being further removed from Tommy John surgery. So I guess you could talk yourself into Montgomery or Senga becoming an ace. But one thing we've learned, you know, watching this sport the last few years is while it's great to have an ace and preferably I want to have an ace, if you could just have depth and you can have reliable middle of the rotation arms, that's not a bad spot. Because you know what we witnessed this past year in the World Series? We witnessed a bullpen game. And I never want to have to see the Mets if we're lucky enough to actually see a postseason game again, to have to witness a bullpen game. So that's where I'm leaning towards the pivot. I remain more steadfast today than I was even days ago about not trading prospects and not trying to buy a one-year rental starting pitcher. And I noticed that Steve Cohen liked a tweet. I hate that, by the way. I hate that we even comment on it. I'm only commenting on it because it backs up what I'm saying right now which is whether it's pivoting after losing Yamamoto, whether it's the interest in Juan Soto. I personally, as a Met fan, I don't have the appetite for giving up multiple prospects for a guy that's got one year of control. And I have felt that way for a month or two months or really for a while. And ever since we've talked about it during the offseason. But I remain more steadfast because obviously a lot of names have leaked out about Juan Soto concerning what the Padres are looking for. There's a ton of interest in Tyler Glass now. And I see that. And yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want Juan Soto on their baseball team? It's not a knock on him. Who wouldn't want Tyler Glass now on their baseball team? It's not a knock on him. It's more, I want to eat my cake. What's that phrase? I want to eat my cake and get fat too. Is that the phrase? (laughs) I want to have my cake and eat it too. That makes sense. That's it. Yeah. I want to have my cake and eat it too. So I want to compete in 2024, but I also want to keep building this farm system. Now, how do you do that? You sign free agents. That's how you do it. You don't you don't trade five guys for Juan Soto, who's a free agent at the end of the year. You don't trade four guys for Tyler Glass now, who's a free agent at the end of the year. So for anyone who's getting, and I know Pete's pro- I haven't even talked to you about this, Pete, but I could tell because we share a town with the Yankees, and I think that's a big part of it, you get jealous of seeing Yankee Juan Soto rumors. You just get jealous of it and say, ah, how come not us? But do you not at least understand what I'm saying or agree with what I'm saying or just I'm an idiot? I, you're, you're not an idiot. And for the, mo- for the most part, I do agree with what you're saying. I don't want to sit here like if, if someone asked me today, who's the non-negotiable? I would not give up Mauricio. I would not give up Francisco Alvarez for Juan Soto, personally speaking. Mm -hmm. But if you told me there was a trade available for Matt Vassell and Brett Beatty for Juan Soto, it piques my interest. How can I say no to that? But that's not going to be enough. Like, think about it. Mike Vassell and Brett Beatty's not getting Juan Soto. Sure, you could throw that out there and say, I do that. Yeah, I do that too. But, I mean, you hear what kind of package they're looking for. They're looking for five or six prospects. They're looking for major league ready starting pitching. They're looking for guys that have shown something on this level. You know, it's funny if Tyler McGill and David Peterson, Peterson obviously is hurt, but if those guys had pitched 
really well over the last year, maybe the Padres would be banging on the door for those guys, but then we probably wouldn't want to trade them, <laughs> if we're being honest. So I don't think the Mets match up well with San Diego to begin with to make a trade for Juan Soto. I get that. But the other thing is, you're right, I don't really want to – it shouldn't be about competing for the offseason. It's about, hey, who has a better season, who goes further in the playoffs, who ultimately wins a World Series. But the last thing I need is to hear it that we lost another offseason – when we had something that was kind of attainable. You're right. Is Soto attainable to us? Not technically because we don't have the right pieces to fit, well, but I'd like to give it a shot. Yeah, it's not even, and the way I phrase this, because I know this could be taken as we're not trying to win next year. We are trying to win next year, but I don't think the Mets are in this position of balls to the wall, all in, future be damned. Let's go for the gusto in 2024. Like, I want to do both. I want to certainly try to win next year, but I also want to keep the long-term vision in mind. You could argue that the New York Yankees, and I know this isn't, you know, the Hensley Mullins, this is the Rico Bronia, but you could argue the Yankees are in that position of, we got to go balls to the walls. You've got Aaron Judge in his prime. You've got Garrett Cole in his prime, and you have no idea when that's going to end, especially a guy like Cole because he's a starting pitcher in a world in which starting pitchers can implode at any moment. So I get it from their perspective, but one thing that's become obvious over the last few days around the Juan Soto rumors, and I think this is great news, but this is something I've also been stressing for weeks and weeks and weeks. He is a rental. He is not getting traded somewhere, whether it's the Yankees or the Blue Jays or the Mariners or the Mets, and being locked up to a long-term contract. If that happens, I would be absolutely stunned. And there's no indication that's happening. So I think next year at this time, we're going to be talking about Juan Soto constantly on this podcast. I do, because I think he's going to be the premier guy to target. Assuming the Mets don't land Otani this offseason, which I think we've all just made that assumption, they're going to go balls to the wall for Juan Soto. So it's not as if him being traded to the Yankees or Toronto or whomever is going to change any of that. But not just Soto, the starting pitching market. The Mets need starting pitchers. I don't have an appetite to trade three prospects to Tampa for Tyler Glass now? Would you want to do that? Or Shane Bieber or Corbin Burns? Like, I don't want to do that. Not when the guy only has one year of control. All right, but but here, here's where you, we're going to fight a little bit, okay? Go. So there's very limited high-end pitchers on the on the free agent market, right? We It just is what it is. You, you look at We talked about the names last time. It's Montgomery. It's Rodriguez, Yamamoto, Otani, who's not even going to pitch. Woodruff, who's literally not pitching next year because he can't. There's very low. Uh, there's a low amount of top end starting pitchers. So if you don't hit on two of those guys, are we going to go into a season with a lot of question marks? I'd prefer to not do question marks. I prefer to be more competitive. A Tyler Glass now is less of a question mark than say Flaherty. We already have Severino who, who's a, who's a question mark. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I, I, I don't think, first of all, I would be, I'm less interested in Jack Flaherty today than I was a week ago because they added Severino. I think he kind of fills that high-end question mark role. I'd rather have guys that I feel good about taking the ball every five or six days. And that's why Eduardo Rodriguez and you, Jordan Montgomery are the two names that kind of jump out at me. Um, Tyler Glass now is ace potential when healthy. No question about that. He is a higher-end guy 
than most of the guys available in free agency. Same with Shane Bieber and same with Corbin Burns. So I don't disagree that you will walk away or we will walk away with a lesser arm, but we'll do it at, at a lesser cost. And I think that matters. And that's where, look, I think Yamamoto makes this offseason so easy. Because I think if you add him, especially at his age more than anything, you feel good for the next five years moving forward. Like, okay, I got two guys at the top of my rotation in Sanga and Yamamoto who are relatively young, especially Yamamoto, and I'm building from that. And I've got flexibility now because Quintana's a free agent at the end of the year. Severino signed a one-year deal. And maybe the other arm you add, you pick up on a one-year deal. So I do think it makes the rest of the offseason easy. If it's not Yamamoto, then you're looking at more of the middle-of-the-road guys. But it's not worth, I think, the prospect haul it's going to take because there are a limited amount of starting pitchers. And because of that, if you're trading Shane Bieber or you're trading Tyler Glass now, you're going to get a huge return. One thought about Otani, and we'll get to some of the guys they added over the last week. There is a part of me with Otani. I don't expect the Mets to swoop in and get him. I don't want to like talk any Met fan into believing in the miracle. But I don't give up on this easily. And what I mean by that is every rumor I hear about Otani is, well, he's going to decide soon. That's really the only rumor we've heard. And that the Mets are on kind of the outside looking in because he doesn't prefer to come here. I, I continue to wait for that out-of-nowhere tweet that says, the Mets got Otani for $600 million. I don't know why. That's like the dream I won't give up on, despite the reports that the Mets are kind of on the outside looking in. So that, that's not me talking everybody up that it's going to happen. I just haven't fully, fully, fully given up on that because I can certainly see Steve Cohen, especially from what happened last year with Correa, because that was the ultimate come out of nowhere moment. Now, granted, it didn't happen. It didn't stick because of what went on with the contract and what went on with the injury question. But when that news went down, I mean, go back and listen to the archives of the Rico Bronia from a year ago. What was it? December of 2022. We were shook. We were stunned. Like, what the F? So there's a small part of me that holds out hope that we may get Correa'd with Shohei Otani. I haven't completely given up on it. You, you've given up, Pete. I can tell by your face. Yeah, I just feel like he the, – the more it goes on, the less I feel comfortable that he really wants to come to the East, East Coast. He doesn't. Like, but that may not matter, Pete. Well, it, it does if the Mets don't really make him a proper offer. No, 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 but that, that's my point. Look, they're not getting him on a, on a discount. I'm saying uh, John Heyman had a report. He's got multiple $500 million offers. Is it not possible? That at the end of this process, which I think is going to be really soon, Steve Cohen calls the agent up and says, here's $650 million. And maybe there's a pause and a, you know what? This is too good. We're going to just take it. Like I would not rule that out because when that news came out about Correa, that, that gives me the hope. Because sometimes you say, well, where do you get this confidence from? Now, I know a lot of non-Met fans have asked that about Steve Cohen. Where do you get the confidence? What has he really, really done? And maybe it's not as much as we painted out to be. But that morning of waking up to, here's a 13-year, $300 million deal for a guy that wasn't even on the Met radar, at least keeps that seedling alive 
that at the last second, there's just a monster offer for Otani, and we get the Jeff Passan bomb that shocks the world. That would be the ultimate Christmas gift. But I just honestly, this is the one that I just don't see it happening. I could see others. I could see some trade potential moves that, that are just like, wow, where the hell did that come from? And I do love the fact, again, that we, the one thing that, that Steve Cohen has been consistent with in, with his moves is he does make bomb of a, of a move. He makes bomb. He out of nowhere moves that we just never saw coming. And that's the, the brilliant, that's the greatness of Steve Cohen. He could do that. And he always does it with all, every single move. I just don't see the Otani one being it. Other well, so far we've gotten it. one bomb. And of course that's the sounding of Andre scrub. I don't think any of us saw that one coming. That was a real shocker, but instead of mocking, is that a, is that a joke? I mean, come on. Is that a <laughs> joke? Uh, Did he hear us making fun of like the fact that you're getting all scrubs? And it's like, Hey, by the way, we shot another <laughs> one just for you. Here's why it's not a joke for, for anybody that hears about Kyle Crick and Cole Salsler, even though that was probably about a week ago, or Austin Adams or Carlos Guzman or any of the names that came in over the last week. And I left out the position players for a specific reason. Here's why it's not a joke. And I remember saying this a couple of weeks ago to you about what's going to have to happen for the Mets to really bounce back in 2024. And there are some obvious things. You know, we've talked about adding starting pitch, and we've talked about adding a bat. Those are the obvious things. Yeah. Brett Beatty having a better year. It's an obvious thing. One of the other things that's going to have to happen, and, and all you have to do is watch the playoffs this year, and you know about it, is there are going to have to be guys in this bullpen that step up and come out of nowhere. It isn't simply which veteran relievers did they add that have a good track record, and that's the bullpen. That's not how it works a lot in baseball. You have guys that absolutely come out of nowhere. What David Stearns did well in his time in Milwaukee is there were relievers that came out of nowhere. So save this tape for this Rico Bronia, for the December 3, 4, 5, whenever you're listening edition of the Rico, because they added four relievers on minor league contracts and one reliever on a split contract. And I'll name their names again. So if you're listening in May and you went back on this, you remember the names. These are guys that could be on the major league roster at some point this season. They could be guys that we are cursing out at some point during this major league season, maybe more likely than not. But they also could be relievers, and this is going to be important. They need to find relievers. And maybe it's not the five names I'm about to mention. Maybe it's somebody else that David Stearns picks up in March. Maybe it's somebody else that we're not even thinking about. But you need guys out of your bullpen that come out of nowhere. That's the truth. And that's why when they add Kyle Crick, I don't just dismiss it and say, who the hell is Kyle Crick? I look closer and I say, okay, he's 31 years old. It was five years ago, but in 2018, he had a very good year with Pittsburgh. He's a high strikeout guy, but he's also a high walk guy. Okay. Did not pitch last year. All right. And I kind of file it away because maybe Kyle Crick at 31 years old, is that reliever that finds himself. Cole Sulser, he's 34 years old. His best season wasn't that long ago. It was back in 2021 with the Baltimore Orioles. He's a fastball changeup guy who had reverse splits, which means, not a surprise considering he throws a changeup as a righty, was tougher against lefties than righties. Okay, file it away. Because in a big spot come June, he's taking on Bryce Harper, bases loaded two out. Maybe he does get that big strikeout. 
I got to check the schedule. I'm not sure we play the Phillies in June, but whatever. You get my point. Maybe Andre Scrub, who's a 28-year-old right-hander who they picked up from the Houston Astros, who in 2020, pandemic season, was nasty out of the bullpen. Maybe a few years later, he all of a sudden puts it all together and has his best year out of the bullpen. Maybe Austin Adams, who's the guy they acquired on that split contract and throws sliders more often than Adam Adovino. I think he throws sliders 90% of the time. Maybe he puts it all together and gives us a big year. This is not a pep talk. This is not me telling you these guys are going to be great because I have no idea. This is me reminding you that sometimes the best moves in the off seasons are the ones that you don't even think about. And if they're going to be good this year, here's the prediction. If the Mets are going to be good in 2024, if they're going to get back to the postseason, if this bullpen is going to be a strength this year, they're going to have to find guys who come out of nowhere. This bullpen is not going to be simply reliant on Brooks Raley and Edwin Diaz and Drew Smith. I mean, yes, want those guys to be good, but you're going to have to find these guys. This is sometimes where the GMs, the good GMs, the good team presidents, that's when they're the great GMs and the great team presidents. The big moves get the attention. The the under-the-radar, on-the-margins moves are really, really important. Let me put this in a way Pete Hoffman will understand. We play fantasy every year. You don't win in the first round. You don't win in the second round. It's that pick in the 18th round that you look back on and say, I won the league because I picked a guy in the 18th round that no one thought of. And yeah, besides the obvious, which we spend a lot of time talking about, the obvious is easy. It's those on-the-margin moves. And that's why I'm not talking up Kyle Crick to you. I'm not talking up Cole Sussler. I'll just give you the information, like the basic information about these guys. Then we'll see them in spring training. We'll see if they make the major league team. And we'll all curse them out together if they stink in April and May. I'm not talking them up. I'm reminding you that those moves matter. And they shouldn't be dismissed because you're waiting for something sexy and bigger. They matter. They're important. And this is where we're going to find out how good David Stearns truly is. No, you're right. And I said this last podcast, and I, I really truly believe this, like the amount of work that, that Stearns has made behind the scenes with all the scouts and all the analytical department, like bringing a, new, a totally new regime, regime, they're probably looking over every single person on the 40-man, every single person. And they're, they're with a fine comb, you know, they're going through and making sure – these guys are what they want on our on our roster because if they don't fit their mold, they're going to be gone, which is why guys like Vogelback were gone. We'll buy, guys like Luis Guillorme, see you later. Like There was people that we didn't expect to, to not be on this team anymore. We thought they'd still be here. Guillorme made sense to be here. He's not here anymore. So it clearly seems like they're looking for specific players. But that also being said, I know that though these moves do count, but I there's very limited – names of impact out there so that's why there's 30 teams going for very limited people so i got a guy like sonny gray moving and everyone's like oh he sucks in new york anyway i'm like if you look at his numbers yeah he sucked in new york one year but his numbers overall that guy was easily penciled in as a third maybe a second round a second starter for the new york mets easy and should have been considered and the fact that he had one bad season because the yankees you know treated him poorly and made him uh, use his uh, slider more. 
it shouldn't be dismissed that we have to think a little bit of the actual talent that's out there. Yeah, I was I was never against Sonny Gray if they were interested in bringing him in. He ended up getting a good deal out of St. Louis, three years, $75 million, which is reasonable because it's a short-term deal. It's funny, I was looking at the 40-man roster that's starting to fill up now with not all those guys are on the 40-man. Like Kyle Crick and Cole Sulsler, they all got minor league deals. Andre Scrub got a minor league deal. I think the only one that went to the 40-man was Austin Adams. But Phil Bickford is still there. Jose Budo's obviously there. Reed Garrett is still there. Grant Hartwig is still there. Sean Reed Foley is still there. Josh Walker is still there. And they're all going to be in that mix. You know, you're going to have, I'd say, two or three spots in your bullpen that are just going to be fluctuating every week with guys coming up and down that minor league train. Oh, by the way, uh, happy birthday, Josh Walker. I saw a nice uh, birthday tweet, I think, on Friday. Yes. Great job by the Mets. Yes, 1994 <laughs> was his birthday. So what does that mean? He's 29, I think, 29 years old. I'm not good at math mm-hmm. right now. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he's much younger than us. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, some of the other guys they added. By the way, speaking of much younger than us, that, that, I, this is so unrelated, but it hit me. I took my three-year-old, okay, so my youngest son, Spence, just me and him, to the Brooklyn Nets game on Saturday night. And Paolo Bancaro is the best player on the Magic, for those that pay attention. He's an incredibly young guy. And I looked at my buddy, who also brought his three-year-old, and I said, our three-year-olds are closer in age to Paolo Bancaro than we are. (laughs) And that just killed me. That is, that's a sad state. That's not good. I'm like, I'm cheering on Cam Thomas, and I'm like, oh, my God, my three-year-old is closer in age to Cam Thomas than I am. That is just, that's a sick feeling, man. Dude, our world is ending. Thanks. (laughs) It really is. It really is. Oh, so some of the other guys they added, uh, Cooper Hummel, who's a switch-hitting super utility guy. I was looking closer at his numbers. Hasn't hit the major league level, but had a very high on-base percentage guy in the minor leagues. He's another one of those depth guys if guys get hurt I guess would be the only way he's on the major league roster they all are also had a Tyler Hyman who's a true backup catcher which makes sense because right now the only catchers on their 40 man were Francisco Alvarez and Omar Narvaez and I'll ask you this about Tyler Hyman who's a switch hitter Tynumin is how you pronounce it for anyone who wants to mock that would you prefer him or Tomas Needle think about that catcher goes down who would you rather have added up the other one that's interesting is this Zach Short Zach Short was added to their 40-man roster. Really good defensive player, which drew me in because you could use that, especially as a late-inning defensive replacement, depending on who the everyday third baseman and second baseman is. And Zach Short is a diehard, diehard New York Jets fan to the point where he doesn't even want to talk about what's going on this season. Doesn't want to talk about Aaron Rodgers. It bothers him too much, so... At least we have that in common with Zach Schwartz. So some of those are some of the guys they added if you want to learn more about them. Did he go to the uh, Jet game with uh, McNeil today? No, McNeil went to the Ranger game. Was McNeil he at the Jet both. game too? He went to both games. Really? He, he, torched himself. he torched himself for three hours. I was like, you know what? I need to win. I need to feel good about myself. So we went to the Ranger game. Wow, Jeff went to both. My God. Man of the people. How's he going to take the news if he's traded at the winter <laughs> meetings? Oh, He'll probably maybe happy. (laughs) Hope you enjoyed all that New York time that you spent. Speaking (laughs) of one of his friends, Pete Alonzo, I saw a rumor that intrigued me. I don't want to get too nuts about rumors, but a rumor that intrigued me because it was the first time I had seen the Mets attached to this guy. 
And I'm interested in this guy. I think it'd be a good addition for the Mets. And the more I thought about it, the more I said to myself, if they sign this guy, I think it makes it more likely Pete Alonso is here long-term. Hear me out on that. And the guy I'm talking about is Young Ho Lee. Young Ho Lee is about to be posted from the KBO in the next couple of days. He, of course, is the left-hand hitting Korean outfielder who has elite bat-on-ball skill, like elite, never strikes out. Not a lot of pop. Not a lot of pop. Left-hand hitter. Missed a bunch of time last year. I think it was with a fractured ankle, if I'm not mistaken. And he's probably going to get five years, $85 million, something of that nature. But you look at his numbers in the KBO. They, they are intoxicating because of the high batting average, even though we, we don't live in a world in which people seem to care that much about batting average. But Young Ho Lee is a guy who I had not seen the Mets connected to very much. He's 25 years old. So young, gotta love that. His numbers last year in the KBO, 318, 406 on base, 860 OPS, hit six home runs, not a lot of stolen bases. The year before that, in 142 games, hit 349 with a 996 OPS, 23 home runs, 113 RBIs. He struck out 32 times. That is Tony Gwynn-like numbers in terms of not striking out. Will that translate? In the United States, look, I don't think it translates into 340. I'm not saying that, but that's a very, very interesting kind of player. A guy that could play anywhere in the outfield, left-handed bat, elite rate of putting the bat on the ball. So what does that mean? There's a couple of reasons why I would be excited about being interested in him. Number one, the Mets need an outfielder. I don't think we have spent enough time on it. We've spent time on it, but it's mostly been starting pitching, starting pitching, starting pitching, starting pitching. Right now, when you look at the Mets' 40-man roster, who who plays the outfield? They have Sterling Marte, Brandon Nimmo, DJ Stewart, and the only other two outfielders on their 40-man right now are Alex Ramirez, who's years away, and Cooper Hummel, who they just claimed. So they need a major league everyday outfielder. You know, I don't think DJ Stewart is penciled in as an everyday outfielder coming into the season, or should he? I think he's a guy that should be on the roster. I think he's a left-handed bat off the bench. He's, to me, not the everyday left fielder. So they clearly need to add an outfielder. That goes without saying. So on what level do they add that outfielder? Young Ho Lee, who's only 25 years old, so so young, and and that's unique for free agents. That's part of why Juan Soto's going to get such a mega contract. Obviously, he's not Juan Soto. At least hasn't proven that yet. But getting guys that young, very, very appealing. Now, you may say, well, what the hell does that have to do with Pete Alonso? That's how I started this. I'll tell you exactly what it has to do with Pete Alonso. Tell me if I'm stretching here. You add a guy like that to this lineup. Lineup's a puzzle. You add a high average, high contact rate, not a slugger. Because I don't think the 23 home runs from two years ago, you're figuring is translating every single year. And if that and if it does, that's a high-end 23 home runs. It's probably not going to be much more than that. Your puzzle can't exclude losing such a reliable power bat like Pete Alonso if you just added, you know, an outfielder making $16 million a year whose kind of skill set is based around putting the ball in play and getting on base and not hitting home runs. Because the Mets lineup doesn't feature a lot of pop, even though they hit home runs last year. It's Pete Alonso. He's the guy who supplies the pop. Brandon Nimmo hits home runs, 
but I don't think anybody would say he's a home run hitter. I'll even say that about Lindor, as crazy as that may seem. Lindor hits home runs. It's a compliment, by the way. This is not a knock. Ken Griffey Jr. used to say that about himself as well. He's like, I don't think I'm a, I don't think of myself as a home run hitter. Meanwhile, he would hit a ton of home runs. Lindor hits home runs. I don't think of him as a slugger. Pete's a slugger. And if you're investing in Young Ho Lee for a long term, that at least tells me you're going to invest in Pete Alonso because it's very difficult to replace that kind of slugger. And like I've said about Pete, he's not the best player in baseball. He's not Aaron Judge. But you know what he is? He's the most reliable slugger in baseball. That's how I phrase it. He's not better than Aaron Judge. He's just more reliable than Aaron Judge. He's not better than Shohei Otani. He's just more reliable than Shohei Otani. He is. Guy goes out and plays 150 games every year. So the interest in Young Ho Lee, I love for a myriad of reasons. The high reward potential, because we don't really know what he is. The age the elite bat on ball ability. And I do think signing him would be a warning sign that you're definitely going to lock up Pete Alonso because you can't lose that kind of slugger. Now, it, it, young Ho Lee, is he, I know he's much younger than Ichiro when he came. Ichiro was what, 27, 28 when he came to the base? Yeah, a couple correct? years older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And now, I don't know his, his, his prior years. You told me the past two and they look good. But like, was he, has he always been a, a above average hitter? Yeah, so... He, 18 years old in the KBO, 324. 19 years old in the KBO, 355. 20 years old in the KBO, 336. His lowest batting average season was actually this past year when he hit 318. So he has been career batting average of 340. How about that? Dude, listen, I am one who actually loves batting average still. I'm the one who still focuses on that. I understand that OPS and OBP, they mean a lot more to certain other people, but batting average really means that you're when you're hitting the ball it's going in play and it, you're you know and that's important because especially with runners in base on the you know scoring position you're going to score runs that way that being said though dude if if you get young young Holy and he turns into anything close to Ichiro Suzuki again power numbers were never there with Ichiro but he was one of the best hitters of all time that would be incredible now how's his defense though ah uh, i mean you can only read what they tell you about that. Honestly, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing about international players. I don't know. Whatever. Google his name in defense. Someone will tell you, but. Is he I, better than uh, Shinjo? You know, well, Shinjo wasn't bad, man. He used to jump before he made every catch. That I always thought was fun. No, the guy I think of internationally with defense was Kazmatsui. That the idea that they were signing him to play shortstop. You watched him for a game and you're like, that guy's not a shortstop. What are we talking about? So it's one of those things where you have to watch him all the time. Um, what is he defensively? I, I I don't know. I don't know. Do you agree with the Alonzo point, though, that that would actually be a connection, that signing a guy like him long-term makes it more likely that you lock up a reliable slugger like Pete? Well, if you commit to another outfield, that means you have Nimmo and, and Young-Ho Lee. So two out of the three outfield positions are there, and that's what we basically are talking about trying to fill in is a big – Big time offensive bat. So that you're saying basically, Young Holy comes in, Soto's off the board, and Alonso's a guy that makes sense at first base. And yes, I do agree that you need to be able to have versatility in your lineup. And Alonso, I don't want to just I'm, I, anybody that sits here goes that Pete Alonso is not going to be able to hit 40 plus home runs for the next five six years. I'm sorry, you clearly just don't watch Pete Alonso every day. I don't have any evidence that he's going to fall off a rooftop. I mean, there's just no evidence to support that other than just making a blind prediction. By the way, 
I Googled Young Ho Lee defense. He is considered, quote, an above average defensive center fielder. So he may be good enough defensively where Nimmo gets shifted to left if the Mets make a play for him. Let's go. Keep an eye on him because if they don't add Young Ho Lee, if you're not drawn in by this, and, and I get it, you say to yourself, you know what? It's the KBO. It's not the Japanese Baseball League. I don't know what this translates to at the major league level, and you're skeptical of it, and maybe you want some more pop. My counter, not really a counter, just be a question of, okay, well, who do you want to go get? Because they clearly need to add an outfielder. Uh, they, they cannot go into spring training with only the five outfielders they have on their 40-man roster. That can't happen. Like I don't think anybody would be thrilled with that. So let's get to these winter meetings just to kind of give you a lay of the land of what to expect. Obviously, there's going to be a ton of rumors. You're going to hear from Carlos Mendoza. You'll hear probably from David Stern. So there'll be interviews. And even if trades don't go down or free agent signings don't go down, and I think there will be, you do lay the groundwork for a lot of future stuff at the winter meetings. Not that that's what we want to hear. We want action. We want stuff to go down. But the big thing that impacts us is Tuesday. Tuesday at 5.30 is the MLB draft lottery. And as you may recall, during the season, we would even have discussions on are the Mets better off losing? Because the Mets are in this weird spot because they're a luxury tax-paying team. If they pick seven or lower, their first-round pick moves back 10 slots, which actually happened last year, too, but we didn't pay that much attention to it because the Mets won over 100 games. But those are the rules. Same with the New York Yankees, who didn't make the postseason. The Yankees right now had the 16th best odds in the lottery. The Mets have the seventh-best odds in the lottery. If they all stay where they are, the Mets would pick 17th. The Yankees would pick 26th because they move back 10 slots. So the Mets need to jump at least one slot. If they do that, they're picking significantly higher in the first round. Their odds of winning the lottery and getting the number one overall pick sit at about 5.5%. Second pick is 6%. Third pick is 6.5%. Fourth is 7.2%. If you add the numbers up in the top six, it gets you to about 37%. So it's likely, unfortunately, the Mets are going to have their pick drop back 10 slots, but it's a lottery. You never know. Maybe the Mets get lucky. As unlucky as the Knicks have been in the lottery for the last million years, maybe the Mets get lucky. I mean, 5% is better than 0%. You never know. For those that say it's the MLB draft, who cares? Look, I, I, I'm not an expert on who they're going to take out of high school or who they're going to take out of college, but would you rather pick fifth than 18th? Yes. So we will get the answer to that question coming up on Tuesday at 5.30. All right. I do have one question about the, the whole prospect stuff here. And I said this a while back when um, the Mets were sitting there and, you know, dying basically or begging for, for, for these prospects to come up. And I understand the philosophy that you can't just pull somebody out of single A and just say, hey, good luck, kid. You know, good luck with the, the, the pros. You'll make it. If you're not, then see you later. But Every other league out there, NBA, NFL, NHL, they basically, you get drafted high, you're in the league within a year. Like, you're playing the, the league. You're, you're in the big league. Baseball's the only one that you got to go through this long process. Is that, is it time to move on from that? Is it time to, if these guys are special, just move them up? 
quicker? Get them to the probably, big leagues? Probably not because the the sooner you bring them up, the sooner you got to pay them. So, you know, not only unless you lock a guy up to a long term contract like we just saw the Brewers do, you bring a guy up, you start that clock. So, wouldn't you rather start the clock when they're ready? When they're really ready? instead of learning at the major league level and struggling for two or three years before they put it all together. And yeah, by the time they start to put it together, they're arbitration eligible. So I don't think that pattern's ever going to change. Obviously when you draft a college kid, like I remember when the Mets drafted Michael Conforto. And the reason I remember this so vividly is Howie Rose was on the Met broadcast on the radio. And he was specifically saying, I hope the Mets draft Michael Conforto. He's a college kid and he could be up here within a year. And kind of like what you're bringing up, I was like, great, a year. I don't want to wait around for five years. Who the hell wants to hear about drafting a high school kid? You forget the guy even existed. And then maybe five years later, he's in the major leagues, yippity doo dah. And I know Michael Conforto didn't turn out to be the greatest Met in the world, but he was up within like a year. So depending on the, the kid that you draft, sometimes you've got a faster road to the major leagues, but unfortunately, I don't see that pattern changing. What I'm hoping for, in the lottery is just the Mets to get a little bit lucky. I'd rather see my team drafting fifth than 18th. It's as simple as that. doesn't mean the guy's going to be a star. doesn't mean the guy's going to be in the major leagues quicker, but it's unfortunate. It's one of the negatives of having a high payroll. With that said, do I regret the Mets having a high payroll? No. I think if this is one of the punishments you face as a tax-paying team, it's probably worth paying. By the way, for anyone that's been on Tankathon because they're a basketball fan or a football fan, Tankathon has all these MLB draft lottery odds as well if you want to pay, play along. But the draft lottery is Tuesday at 5.30. The Rule 5 draft is Wednesday at 2 o'clock. We all know the rules there. You claim a guy, that guy's got to be on your major league active roster the entire season, or you got to offer him back. Mets claimed the guy last year from the Yankees. Zach Green was his name, and he never even made it through spring training. So it never went anywhere, but you never know. That's Wednesday at two o'clock. And other than that, you're going to hear from Carlos Mendoza, hear from David Stearns, and hopefully we'll get some actions. We're not getting the Yamamoto answer at the winter meetings. We may get the Otani answer, which I know for most people is he's not coming here. Like I said earlier on the Rico, I hold out a slight bit of hope that Steve Cohen and the Mets can shock the world. But for the sake of Pete Hoffman, for the sake of other Met fans that are losing their patience, I hope we do add an exciting Major League Baseball player in the next few days so I don't get the deal with more ownership is like the Wilpons. David Stearns is a moron. Get me out of here. So I don't know who would do that for you. I don't know what Major League ad would make you say, ah, like if they signed Eduardo Rodriguez, would that make you all feel good? Would that be a kind of like taking a crap? When you got diarrhea, like, ah, okay, I feel good. If you get Eduardo Rodriguez and Yamamoto, I mean, I think that's kind of what it is. Unfortunately, we, we set our standards too high this year. We said, no, no, but wait, well, hold on, hold on. They're not getting Yamamoto this week. So let's just remember it's sure. not happening this week. It's just going to, we're going to hear more stupid rumors about where he's thinking of going. So we're not getting that answer this week. So to make you feel better for the next few days, if I told you Tuesday morning Eduardo Rodriguez signs with the Mets, we still have no answer on Yamamoto. Your reaction would be, eh. <laughs> you guys eh. are the worst. It's not the worst. <laughs> they, they set us up for this. Well, we are expect- up for what? Who said the expectations up for what? are so high? It's just like because, yeah, dude, 
we have one of the, the the best owner in the league, right? We have the best owner in the league. We have the guy who's willing to spend as much money as possible. And there's some special players out there. And we want to get them. And if we – Eduardo Rodriguez is not going to be a game changer for the Mets this year. Let's put it that way. I like him. Nice piece. Dude, not a game changer. I, I mean, right now, a major league pitcher that can make 30 starts for the New York Mets with a mid-three ERA is an absolute game changer. He I just did, watched he, David Peterson and Tyler McGill make starts last year. Are you freaking kidding me? Okay, but Eduardo Rodriguez last year uh, didn't pitch thirty games. He was missed half the season with like mental issues. Or no, family no, he issues. made like twenty. He made he made in the mid to high twenties. If I have to pull it up now, just to kind of prove you wrong, it wasn't like he made twelve starts last year. No, he missed like I, I think he missed like four weeks. I, I understand, but I'm telling you, I think he made at least twenty five starts. That That's be my fine. guess. Oh, uh, twenty five is okay. Let me get the answer. But he had twenty six. All right, I was I was off by one. Twenty six starts, three three ERA, one hundred and fifty innings. Let me tell you right now. I understand what you're saying about wanting stars and like game changing players, but for a rotation that sucked last year, that's pretty game changing. <laughs> 26, 26 starts in a three three ERA and 150 just, innings. Yeah. My game has changed with that. What are you, what are you kidding me? <laughs> you're, you're you're right. Comparing him to Max Scherzer, game changer. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, we'll be here with Ricos throughout the winter meetings as news breaks. But one thing we found out on Sunday night was from this new Veterans Committee. It used to be the Veterans Committee. Now it's the Contemporary Base. They have all these different little committees where they elect guys to the Hall of Fame. And so the latest one featured Davey Johnson as a candidate, Lou Pinella as a candidate, Jimmy Leland as a candidate, Country Joe West as a candidate. And there were 16 members on this panel. It was formerly known as the Veterans Committee. And if you could get 12 of 16 votes, you get elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Jim Leland was the one guy that got the votes. In fact, he got 15 out of 16 votes to get elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Lou Pinella, I think, was one vote short. He got 11 of the 16. No word on how Davey Johnson did. Here are the guys who voted. So we know the voters. Uh, Jeff Bagwell, Tom Glavin, Chipper Jones, Bud Selig, Ted Simmons, Jim Tomey, Joe Torrey, Cindy Alderson, Bill DeWitt, Michael Hill, Ken Kendrick, Andy McPhail. And then uh, who else? Sean Foreman, Jack O'Connell, and Jesus Ortiz. They're veteran media members. So those are the guys that and gals that were placing votes. And Jimmy Leland made the Hall of Fame. I, I do think of Jim Leland as a Hall of Fame manager. I do. I think of what he did in Pittsburgh with them basically winning the division every year. I know they couldn't break through and get to the World Series. They lost to the Reds in an NLCS. They lost to the Braves. They lost to the... Who else did they lose to? To the Phillies in 93. Yeah, I think they made, if I'm not mistaken, I think they made the NLCS in 90, 91, 92. They lost to the, actually, it wasn't the Phillies. It was the Braves. They were in the same division back then. So they made it 90, 91, 92. They made three consecutive NLCSs back in the day where the Mets were in the NL East. And we were, well, we are in the NL East. The Pirates were in the NL East. And that was my first rivalry as a kid was the Pirates because they were damn good. Andy Van Slyke, Jim Leland, Doug Drabeck, Barry Bonds, Bobby Bonilla till we stole them. Those were the days growing up. So I think of Leland managing those Pirates successfully, the three consecutive NLCSs, the mercenary Marlins of 1997. Look, you still got to win. And he went out and did it. He was a disaster with the Rockies for one year. And then great success with Detroit. So. 
I'll tell you what I remember, and then we got the facts. Because we interviewed Jim Leland when I was doing the show with Beningo years ago at the Joe Torrey Safe at Home Golf event. And Leland was there, and he was a wonder, wonderful interview. But I remember going into the 05 season. The Mets were looking for a manager. They had fired Art Howe. And the rumor out there was they were turned off by Jim Leland because he didn't want to do public events. Like, he just wanted to manage He didn't really want to be the face of the team. That was the crazy rumor that was out there. And then eventually the Mets hired Willie Randolph. Jim Leland eventually took the job to manage the Detroit Tigers. Jim Leland goes on and has a great run with Detroit. He got them to two World Series, 2006 and then 2012. They didn't win either World Series, but he got the two. So think about that. There's a manager that won three pennants, two with Detroit, one with Miami, Florida at the time. Uh, made the playoffs with the Pirates, won divisions, championship with the Marlins, a lot of success with Detroit. So he's got a wonderful resume, but there's that part of me that says, what if he managed to mess? What if he had taken that job instead of Willie Randolph? So I want to take you back to four years ago. Jim Leland sits down with me and Joe at the Joe Torrey Safe at Home Golf Foundation, and right away, The very first question I had for Jim Leland was this. Who do I blame for you not being the manager of the Mets that year? Because I remember that you were linked to the job. Did you not want the job? Should I blame the Wilpons? How did that (laughs) not happen, Jim? No, you know, that's a great question. I actually talked to Omar Minaya. We we had a conversation on the phone. I wasn't the right guy for the job. He didn't want me for the job. And I know there was some articles in the paper about talking to me and everything, so I think they were putting a little pressure maybe to speak to me. But... You know, we cleared that all up. Uh, I wasn't a man for the job. I didn't want the job. He didn't want me for the job. Why? So it worked out good. It, it's, it was too big for me. I, 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 I don't think I could handle New York. Too big for you? Couldn't yeah. handle New York. No, I'm a Pittsburgh guy, a smaller place. I come from a town of 4,500 people. I, I got intimidated when I came here. To wow. Be with you. you think, like, guys like us going on the radio ripping every move you make would have been <laughs> annoying? What? No, that doesn't bother That goes, you know, I I don't have any problem with guys talking about strategy and everything because that means they like the game and it's part of the game, and plus it stirs up good conversation with people. So as long as people, you know, their heart's in the right place as far as talking baseball, discussing things, questioning, second-guessing, that never bothered me. Mm. I, I think that's part of the game. So how about that? I mean, Jim Leland basically said, I, I don't know, I, it, you let that digest hearing it all these years later. In one breath, Leland says, I couldn't do it. Like, I couldn't manage in New York. But then the other part was, Omar and I didn't want him. So my question was, who should I be pissed off at? I guess I'm pissed off at everybody. And, and I don't know if Leland couldn't have handled it. I respect that honesty from him. I do, especially when he says, nah, the, the baseball debates, the talking about the managing stuff, I had no problem with that. Then what about New York really would have been the issue? So it's one of those alternate history things. And, I, and I've always talked about we should do a Rico Bronia alternate history. There's so many different variations of alternate history with the New York Mets, and that's one of them. What if Jim Leland managed the team in 05, 06, 07, 08, as opposed to Willie Randolph. But interesting answer from Jim Leland from that interview from four or five years ago. A couple of emails to get to, B at gmail.com. Number one, hey, Evan, if the Mets starting nine played the Jets offense in football, nine versus 11, who would win? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I just needed I just needed to read that. Thank you very much for that email. Brian Safchik writes, Juan Soto. Evan, I'm not saying the Mets should trade for Juan Soto, but you keep saying he is 100% going to free agency, and I don't agree. Strasburg, Altuve, Bogarts all signed extensions as Boris clients, and Pete Alonso would right now if offered enough money. Boris's clients go to free agency most of the time because their current team doesn't offer them an extension that is equal to what the player is expecting to get as a free agent. We know that is by design as extensions are generally offered at less than market value because it gives a player financial security now and takes the risk of injury or a bad season in their walk year out of play. That said, if you trade for Soto and offer him an extension that is equal to what he's expecting as a free agent, why wouldn't he sign? Why risk injury just to get the safe money to get the same money after the season? If the Mets or Yankees traded for Soto now and offered him an extension of 12 years, 540 million, which is 45 million per year, I think he takes the deal. Look at another Boris client, our friend Michael Conforto. He did waiting. How did waiting to go to free agency work out for him? He got hurt, sat out a year and signed a two year, $36 million deal with the Giants that he could have opted out of after this year, but he opted in at $18 million. He lost over $100 million by waiting. Every player has a number, and Soto is no different. Brian, you bring up great points, but it all is irrelevant to Juan Soto, and I'll tell you why. Juan Soto as a free agent is so unique. I don't believe there is an offer the Mets or Yankees could make upon trading for him that would make Scott Boris say, I'll do it. Like your offer, it's nice, $45 million a year, a 12-year deal. It sounds reasonable on paper, but you don't think Scott Boris is thinking to himself, I've got arguably the greatest free agent situation ever. Why is it the greatest free agent situation ever? I'm glad you asked. The age, let's start with that. 25 years old in free agency is unique. Number two, Otani losers. There are going to be a lot of teams that missed on Shohei Otani. Every team but the team that signed him missed on Shohei Otani. You don't think that those teams are mortal locks to say, well, we missed that on Otani. We better get Juan Soto plus the numerous other teams that would say, you know what? We're a big market team. We don't have a huge, huge payroll. This is the guy worth spending on. And because of that, Boris wouldn't accept that contract you offered. Because if you get three, four, five teams bidding on this generational situation, that number could get much higher. Why rule out $50 million a year? Why rule out a 15-year contract? So I get it. Like, I agree with Brian that there is a price for most guys to bypass free agency. There's a price for Pete Alonso right now for the Mets to get that deal done. I completely agree with you. But I do not believe it applies with Juan Soto. And I stand by that. He will a thousand percent be a free agent going into next year. And we will spend endless hours on Rico Bronia analyzing how the Mets are going to steal him. Now, the only thing I say is like, you know, you, you say, I agree. I think free agency is, is, is a no brainer for, for Juan Soto, unless like, like we've said in the past, like if, Boris wants six hundred million dollars, and whoever says yeah, let's go for it. 
That's the only way they say yes. I don't think there's an offer. Like, I don't think Scott Boris is going to say to a team upon a trade, give me this and we'll sign. I think he knows that whatever that number is in his head, it can go higher because of the market you may get in free agency. And that's why I don't even think it's a negotiation. I don't even think you get that chance to work out a deal with him. He's so close to free agency at this age. I just don't think it's doable. And I think that's a part of why the Yankees are playing hardball with their trade because they know that because they know he's a rental. Doesn't mean they can't resign him, but he's going to be a true blue free agent. But what? But what if? Take this for you know the, the what ifs. Like Aaron Rodgers came to the Jets, and that that was like Super Bowl bust in four plays. He was done. Mm-hmm. What if Juan Soto something happens? He gets hurt. He just has a listen. He got traded to the Padres in twenty twenty two, and his second half was not very good, and it didn't hear his value. That that's the point. Like I don't think there's an injury unless you're talking about something really catastrophic that would even scare people off. Like look at Otani. I mean, think of, think about that. Otani didn't play the last month, and he's not even going to pitch in 2024, and it's not even hurting his value. So I, I think the injury thing is completely overblown. And even with that bad second half with the Padres a year ago, hasn't changed his value. I think he's a mortal lock to get to free agency. We got a bunch of Ricos coming up as the winter meetings roll on, reacting to breaking news. Just give us time. I'm on the air till 630. Pete Hoffman's working hard on the midday show. So what I always say when there's breaking news is you may not get it immediately, but by the end of that night, there will be an updated Rico Bronia reacting to what happened in Metland. Any thoughts, you can email us, the RicoB at gmail.com, and we'll try to get to as many emails as we can over the next couple of days. The RicoB at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and downloading. The winter meetings are here. Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.